Let us pray. Dear God, this morning we thank you again for your word, which brings our souls to life and to love and to light. And we ask now for the help again of your Holy Spirit so that you can bring in our hearts what only you can bring, new life, new renewal, all of this from you above. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The light of day is far gone, and the darkness of the night has descended over the village. A donkey brays in the distance. The Milky Way is beginning to glimmer in the dome of the heavens overhead. Jesus tonight is worn out from everything that's happened in Jerusalem. Driving out the money changers, tipping over their tables, pouring out their coins on the ground. And now he's spending the night with friends when suddenly there's a knock on the door. And standing out there is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a prominent religious leader. And why does he, of all people, come under the cover of darkness, furtively looking over his back shoulder? Who's he afraid of? After Jesus invites him in, Nicodemus clears his throat, nervously tugs at his beard, and it soon becomes clear that he's talking and representing not just himself, but perhaps other folks as well. Because he says, Rabbi, we know, we know that you're a teacher from God, and you couldn't be doing all of these amazing things apart from God's presence in your life. Now, right before this story, in John chapter 2 at the end, we learn of Jesus' skepticism toward those who only believe in Him because of His healings, because He turns water into wine, because He multiplies loaves. You see, His ministry isn't just about wowing people with wonderful signs. It's not about attracting them with cash and prizes. His ministry is about inviting people into a whole brand new dimension of reality. Not just of new belief, but of new birth. Not just inviting people to become better people, but inviting people to become new people. Brand new people. And so Jesus says these words to Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born anew. 
And those Greek words can also be translated to be born again. And they can also be translated to be born from above. Now this uh, sets Nicodemus to frowning and pulling on his beard again. And his response is a bit incredulous, a bit sarcastic, and he says, how can an old man like me ever squeeze back into my mother's womb and come out again a second time? Good question, huh? Good question. You see, he's still focused on only what he can see and hear and touch. His little world of certitude and control. Ever been in that world? That little world of certitude and control? And it's just then that an evening breeze blows through the open door and sets the light of their lamp dancing on the walls and on the ceiling. And that's when Jesus says, the wind blows where it chooses. And you can hear the sound of it. But even then, you're not sure where it's coming and where it's going. That's the way it is with all, everyone who's born by the Spirit from above. That's the way it is. And then in our story from Genesis 12, God calls Abram, Abraham, and Sarah to leave behind everything and everyone that they know. Go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you. God is launching them on this great adventure of trust to travel to a land that is unseen and unknown that they'll never be able to find on any map. And I don't know if you noticed in our reading today, right after Sharon ended, how old did it say that Abraham was? 75. And how old is Sarah at this point? Ten years, his junior, she's 65. You see, even in our later years, there's no retiring from being a channel of God's blessing to those around us. And I often remember in my own life that my grandma Nickel had her years of greatest impact on my life, of discipling to me when she entered her 90s. Anybody in their 90s here yet? Good. Well, you all have many, many years of kingdom service still to serve. You see, both in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Nicodemus, We see people being called to let go of their control and to let God take them 
into new and unknown and even sometimes risky places. This past week, I was having coffee with a couple new pastor friends of mine. And one of you was, uh, this was downtown, and one of you was actually sitting at the next table, as uh, I'm discovering often happens here in Lancaster. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this about pastors, but uh, uh, the minute they get at a table, they start sketching things on napkins. And uh, sure enough... Uh, my friend started to sketch a long horizontal line on his napkin. Now, you can't read those words, but you can see the long horizontal line. On the left side of that line, he wrote, liberals. And on the right side of that line, he wrote, conservatives. And he said, this is a picture of our divided country. Polarized between the left and the right, between Fox and NPR, between red and blue states. And then he said, this is also sadly a picture of our American church often. Polarized between the left and the right. And then he got to what was on his heart. He said, increasingly, this is a picture of what's happening in our Mennonite denomination. As we discuss sexuality and all begin to hunker down, dig our deep trenches and load our theological weapons for battle. And as my friend was talking, I I thought about a chart on the wall in a hallway back at seminary, at Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart. And this chart went the whole length of the hallway. Sometimes we called it our wall of shame. Because this chart showed all the schisms and divisions and splits that have taken place in our Mennonite family over the past 500 years. And it took a whole 25 feet to show all the splits that have taken place, showing how this sad impulse to cut off relationships to withdraw into our pure enclaves and to then heap scorn on the other side, somehow it's deeply ingrained in our Anabaptist DNA. And so pointing at his napkin, my friend said, we need a new paradigm between just this right and left. He said we need a new way to see the church a new way to see the world as God intends it. And so then he drew a second line crossing the horizontal line going from bottom 
to the top, and he wrote the words open and closed at the bottom, open at the top. You see, when there's just a single horizontal line that divides all of us, this only divides us between I'm right and you're wrong. And it requires nothing of me and everything of the other side to change. But the addition of this new dimension challenges all of us, liberals or conservatives, to new openness to the Holy Spirit and a new willingness to be taken to new places together by God. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor is that all of us, whether liberal or conservative, are capable of behaving badly. Especially me. And so in recent years, I've found myself most drawn not to those who agree with me on a particular issue, but to those who have this openness of spirit to God and to others. Who confess that they see through a glass darkly and that they may be wrong. Who are open to being born again and again and again from above. Who realize that when we're through changing then we're really through. Who know that whenever we draw a line between ourselves and others, Jesus will probably be on the other side of that line. Who know that our Lord told us that the most important thing is not to be right, but to be in love. Friends, think for a moment about Pope Francis. Have you ever thought about why he is attracting so much attention these days? Why do you think he's on the cover of Rolling Stone? And why is a Mennonite pastor buying this? And look, even in the Mennonite, There's an article that says, we have a Mennonite Pope. (laughs) Mennonites are wonderful. Whenever there's anything good in the world, we call it Mennonite, don't we? (laughs) Now, the interesting thing is, as far as we know, the Pope has not changed a single of his positions on many of the social issues in our world. Yet, by humbly washing and kissing the feet of inmates, by moving out of his mansion, by sharing from his heart, he has clearly embodied an openness to the Holy Spirit, an openness to the world that the whole world finds refreshing and winsome and even exciting. Now back to our napkin story. Looking at this diagram, this is when the other pastor jumped into the conversation. And he said, 
what do our churches need to do to move from down here to up here? What kind of practices can we do together to help us move toward a greater openness to the Holy Spirit in our lives? And I was thrilled when the very first example that he gave was the daily examine that we have all begun to practice in our lives. Because it helps us to notice what God is doing in the world and encourages us to join that work as well. And we also named at that table some other practices as well. Things like deep listening, shared worship, disagreeing in love, and tenaciously working for the unity of the church as practices that help to raise us higher on that scale. And friends, why is this openness and receptivity to the Holy Spirit so crucial? This now takes us to those wonderful verses from John 3.16 and 17. Because there Jesus tells Nicodemus that God so loves the world. And notice that it says, so loves the world. That so may be one of the most important words in the Bible. Speaking of God's heart and orientation toward us. And the beautiful thing here is that in the Greek, it doesn't say that God so loves the world. It says that God so loves the cosmos. We always need to think big with God. And God sends the Son into this cosmos. Are you thinking cosmically? To condemn and accuse? No. To save and to heal. And not just to save you and me, not just to save our Mennonite family, not just to save and heal the global church, but to save all of creation, to heal the whole cosmos. Wow. And this Nicodemus story brings all of us to a decision place, a place of crisis. Are we willing to join God's saving mission in our world? Are we willing to be taken and to even be blown to new places so that we can be channels of God's blessing? to each other, to this city, to this planet, and to this cosmos. You know, in our story from John 3 today, John's, or Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, it kind of seems like it's going nowhere, real fast. But then in Later in John 19, we discover that it actually went somewhere. 
Because after Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus goes out in broad daylight now to lovingly minister to the broken body of his teacher. And later, when he hears that Jesus has been raised from the dead, does this old man now weep like a newborn child? Amen.